Hello and welcome back to the This Step Enough podcast. I hope you had an amazing Christmas and I really wish you all the best for the year to come as well. I know 2021 has not been easy for many people and I just pray that we will continue to seek the Lord as we enter this new year and I really do wish you all the best for all your endeavours this year as well. So if you're new here, we are currently working through a Bible study of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, In case you don't know, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible and they are accounts from different perspectives of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Matthew's Gospel is the very first one and that's what we're working through right now. There's 27 chapters altogether and we're just taking one chapter at a time working through this very slowly (laughs) we're going to be at this until like April I think but today we are looking at chapter four which is the temptation of Jesus so when he went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil just before he starts his public ministry which is the second half of this chapter so as before I will read the passage or part of the passage and then we can have a little discussion about that part and continue on I really hope you enjoy. So starting in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11, this is about the temptation of Jesus. I'm reading from the ESV version, but feel free to just follow along in whichever version you are most comfortable with or whichever you have in front of you. So Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All right, so there is so much that I think we can learn from this short passage. It's only 11 verses, but I suppose it's one of those things where we have Jesus' teachings where he very clearly tells us um, how to live and he instructs us in God's way. But then we also have these kind of stories about how Jesus lived his life um, and his lifestyle. And I think it's so insightful for us to just see how he went about in his temptation. So let's break it down. So in verse 1, we've got Jesus was led by up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, this story comes straight after Jesus' baptism, where the Spirit of God in the form of dove came down on him and the Father declared, uh, You are my Son, um, with whom I am well pleased. 
So the spirit now leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I think this is a really important point about temptation. So David Guzik, who writes the Enduring Word commentary, he says about this passage, the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us. And he's getting that from James chapter 1 verse 13 where it says let no one say when he is tempted i'm being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one so the holy spirit cannot tempt us but the holy spirit may lead us to a place where we will be tempted this is not to prove something to god who knows all things but to prove something to us and to the spiritual beings watching us and i suppose the way that i would see this is also that when we go through periods of forced dependence on God is often when we learn to know him better. Um, So I can think of certain times in my life where I've really just been forced to lay everything on God and to just fall back into his arms um, because there is no way that I can do it myself. And those are the times, like 100%, those are the times that I have known him better and just being closer to him and it's really a challenge for me now in a time of like relative calm and peace in my life to make sure that I am still seeking him actively every single day uh, even though it is you know going well on the surface. The next thing to point out is that Jesus went for 40 days and 40 nights that he was fasting and many have pointed out that this kind of par- is a parallel to the 40 years that the Israelites spent wandering in the wilderness and that Jesus succeeded where Israel failed. You know, where they did not rely on God, he has succeeded in relying on God and trusting the Lord to provide for his needs. Um, John Mark Comer, I don't know if you've read his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It was a really helpful book for me. And I found it really insightful. And something that he said in that is that this fasting for 40 days and 40 nights beforehand, this was not a sign of weakness or it wasn't what made him weak. It was actually like the place of growth and the place where Jesus found strength because in fasting and in praying to the Lord and um, in giving his, you know, focusing his life on God for those 40 days and 40 nights, he was better prepared to be facing the devil and I think often we see that kind of fasting as a time of weakness um, and that he had like weakened himself and that was why the devil was able to come to to him and obviously I don't know that much about this kind of stuff but I do find it an interesting point that you know fasting and focusing on God and following those kind of spiritual disciplines um, is amazing like how it prepares us for this kind of temptation it really uh, can set us up so well and it's really important to kind of incorporate them then into our lives so the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of god command these stones to become loaves of bread there's an interesting point so if it's translated in my bible as if but apparently that if is actually more a since So it's kind of saying, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So Satan wasn't questioning Jesus's deity. He was challenging him to prove it, but he was never questioning his identity as the son of God. Um, Bruce, 
he writes hunger because it says that Jesus was hungry and then the Satan comes to him and he he tempts him to use God's gifts for selfish purposes so to kind of satisfy his flesh so Bruce writes hunger represents human wants and the question was whether sonship was to mean exemption from these so from exemption from human wants was Jesus you know going to skip hunger and not have to experience that or loyal acceptance of them as part of the Messiah's experience and we know that Jesus chose to become like us and you know at Christmas we celebrate that that Jesus took on our identity and not our identity but he took on human identity and he became human and he became flesh and he lived among us and he knows what it is like he knows what the human experience is like and he can relate to us in that so that was the first way in which Satan tempted Jesus was this temptation to use God's gifts for um, his own selfish purposes and then he takes him and he says if you are the son of God throw yourself down and surely you'll um, the angels will come and catch you and you'll be safe so there's a few things that we can take from this the first is here he's tempting it's a temptation to pride it's kind of this um, temptation for a public demonstration of God's approval you know God would come and save you. Uh, he'll send his angels to come save you. And then everyone will know that you are the son of God and that you are beloved by God. And I think it's really insightful to the thing that there is, you know, pride is a rampant issue in many churches. And it's just kind of strange how we can be so eager for God and we want to kind of do good works for God but be motivated completely by selfish desires you know if we're being motivated by pride and if pride is what drives us to be working hard for the church because we just want everyone in the church to know who we are and you know we want to be up at the front and people like laughing at our jokes or all of those kind of things you know that's not working for the Lord that's working for yourself and I just find it such an interesting thing that we can be tempted to pride even in those kind of things you know like Satan wasn't tempting him to do anything um particularly sinful but it's this temptation to pride of like you know surely God will save you and then everyone will see that he approves you so that's the first thing And then the second is to note that the devil quotes scripture. So even the devil will be quoting scripture. Um, And that it's so important for us to be on our guard because, you know, Satan doesn't care if he draws you away from God because you're believing a false gospel or if you're believing that there's no God at all. You know, his, his goal is to get you away from God. He doesn't care really what those means are and unfortunately there are so many false gospels being preached around the world and you know people believing things that are not true or you know being taught scripture in a way that has completely perverted the meaning of scripture and it's just kind of scary to to realize that even the devil will quote scripture and it is so important for us ourselves to be learning scripture from the bible you know reading the bible for ourselves um learning the bible like you know 
getting to know the Lord in our Bible studies and really like seeking what he has to say to us through that. I find something really incredible with the Bible is that you obviously have these amazing Bible scholars and they have done so much to you know progress the academic study of the bible and they've you know helped countless people with their commentaries and all of this kind of stuff but at the end of the day because the bible is the word of the lord you do not need to have a degree in bible studies or in theology to read the bible you don't need to be a pastor you don't need to be you know have a mdiv or any of those kind of things you can approach the Bible and trust that the Lord will reveal to you what he is saying and you know there's there's the supernatural um, kind of element to it where we can approach the Bible whether we have 10 degrees or none at all and still learn from it and hear the Lord's word and what he is speaking to us and into our lives and I suppose this was like a large part of the Reformation as well when they were fighting for the masses to be said in the native tongue and not in Latin because the Bible should be approached by every single person. If you are believing in God, you should be reading the Bible and you should be encouraged to read the Bible and you shouldn't be afraid or feel like it's not something that you can do because it's so, so important to read the Bible yourself and to be able to discern what is false teaching and what is not and to be able to just grow closer to the Lord in that so that when these kind of inverted, twisted um, Bible verses are thrown at you out of context and you're being tempted to sin because of these scriptures that are being used incorrectly, that that you will be able to identify that and just know that that is not what the Lord is saying. And I just find it such such a kind of scary kind of motivator, if that makes sense, for us to really dig very deep into our Bibles. And then finally, the third temptation is the temptation to the lust of the eyes. So Satan says to him, um, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says all these I can give to you if you will fall, fall down and worship me and I think something really interesting there is just to note that Satan wants to be worshipped like that is his goal he wants you to come and worship him and it's just really uh, kind of interesting like am I worshipping Satan like sometimes I think we think that we are just you know it's a private sin you're just like pleasuring yourself but do you end up worshipping Satan by your sin and that that is kind of what that is what he wants so something really interesting throughout this is clearly Jesus used scripture to battle the devil's temptations and that is kind of a blueprint for us for how we should um, approach temptation ourselves so God's truth and not man's wisdom can counter the devil's deceptions and it is so important um, as per the rant that I went on a few minutes earlier <laughs> that we dig ourselves very deep into the Bible and that we know scripture so that we can counter these deceptions when they come at us. Um, as Jesus shows us, we can resist the devil. So there, you know, it's there's hope. You know, it's not like this battle 
this battle has been won you know jesus has won we can resist the the devil and in james 4 verse 7 it says submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you he will flee from us if we resist him so it says then the devil left him and angels came and were ministering to him and this is just a final point then that god will not forsake us he will minister to us when we endure temptation you know it says he will not um let us be tempted more than we can bear and i think it's really important to remember that throughout this god is with us it's not like we get when we're being tempted he's not present that he's like disappeared somewhere god is with us throughout this and he will minister to us and we can find peace in him and we can go to him and we can ask for his help and for his strength so that is the temptation of jesus now we're moving on to the second half of this chapter which is about jesus starting his ministry calling his disciples and ministering to the crowds so again i'm just going to read so this is chapter 4 verses 12 to 17 now when he heard that john had been arrested so that's john the baptist he withdrew into galilee and leaving nazareth he went and lived in capernaum by the sea in the territory of zebulon and naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet isaiah might be fulfilled the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali the way of the sea beyond the jordan galilee of the gentiles the people living in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned from that time jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand i think the most notable thing here is talking about this territory of zebulun and naphtali so i didn't really realize this but jesus's ministry base was capernaum and i think i just always assumed it was nazareth but yeah so he was living in capernaum for most of his ministry as far as i understand until he like properly went on that journey to jerusalem which i think it's in mark's gospel where that like takes up the entire second half of the gospel which is kind of cool anyways that was complete tangent so jesus went and lived in capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Naphtali, so this is the northern part of Palestine and it had experienced a lot of turmoil from the neighboring invaders. So obviously they were on the border and they'd, you know, often have kind of the other countries coming into them. So it was kind of a bit of a tumultuous border. Um, So people like Assyria from the Old Testament, they would have experienced that unrest and it wouldn't really have been considered the place of great religious academia or scholar you know so notably jesus did not go to the religious jerusalem and it kind of just reminds me of i think it was in chapter two we were talking about how joseph wanted to go to jerusalem and he kind of thought that that would be the best place to raise the messiah but that god said actually sent him then to nazareth and considered nazareth with its normal people and carpenters to be the best training ground for the messiah so that's the most notable thing i find there uh so continuing with verses 18 to 22 
Jesus calls the first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the zoo boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him so I will say this always used to confuse me because I was like how can you just completely give up your job (laughs) you know surely that's not a very kind of um, smart financial decision and to like leave your dad in the boat and just be like okay see ya I'm off but reading some commentaries and like the context around it it is also kind of clear so Jesus was it says there in verse 17 Jesus began to preach so Jesus was kind of established now as a rabbi and a teacher so it was very unlikely that this would have been the first time that the brothers would have come across him you know they would likely have known about him and they would likely have already gone and listened to him preach and then so his coming and like calling them was kind of seen as a great honor and they would be the disciples of this rabbi then which was part of the Jewish culture at that time so it's not kind of as you know black and white as it maybe sounds on the page Um, but it is really incredible to kind of read this and realize that they disciples abandoned their livelihoods to go and follow Jesus full-time and that they considered the learning that they would get at the feet of this rabbi so much more important than their careers and their jobs and their livelihood and I just find it so kind of insightful for today I suppose that we can get so worked up and wrapped up in our career and in our success and making money and not even just like the corporate ladder but also um on the like kind of creative side of things you know there's this big push now of everyone needs to go and just do their like dream jobs and if you're not enjoying your job every second of it then you're wasting your life and all of this um but that these disciples considered for them it was so much more important to be following Jesus and I mean what an incredible experience that must have been to be learning at Jesus's feet to be hearing all of his preaching and then also to be able to have the opportunity to ask him questions and to discuss all of it with him uh it must have been so incredible and it really is just a challenge to us to kind of prioritize Jesus and to make sure that we are following him today in the 21st century so finally verses 23 to verse 25 Jesus ministers to great crowds and it says and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people so his fame spread through all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed by demons those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan so this is really exciting clearly you know Jesus is really starting his ministry and it's he's starting to kind of build up these crowds who are coming to hear him and to listen to his teaching and he's really kind of stirring up the 
the the people um, with his teachings and just kind of important note that I took from this is that there is like a spiritual ministry obviously through his teachings but also a practical ministry he is healing every disease and every affliction among the people like that's incredible like he is really really having compassion on the people and really wanting to serve them and he's ministering ministering to their practical needs as well and I just think it's important for us to keep that like keep that balance like clearly it is important to also be ministering to people's primary needs um and another point is how incredible this this that that line of healing every disease and every affliction among the people is just such an incredible kind of foretaste of what is to come in the new earth when there is no longer any more disease or affliction or pain or suffering and it's just such a beautiful kind of image of the disappearance of the pain and the disease um that has hurt so many people so that is Matthew chapter 4 thank you so much for listening to me ramble through it I find it such an insightful chapter on so many levels there's so much there um obviously in the temptation there was quite a lot that we can learn from how to um withstand these spiritual attacks and then also just really interesting to kind of see this how Jesus starts his ministry and how he goes about it so thank you so much for listening uh I hope you enjoyed I hope you were encouraged by that and please come back next week for Matthew chapter 5 um have a great rest of your day and I'll see you very soon bye bye